the whole chapter so I'm going to repeat a little bit what we did last week in way of review and we did talk about this stuff ever so slightly last time but I want to I want to say it again because I want to re- do the whole chapter but we'll, we'll move on quickly though so in verse 1 then in Matthew 28 it says that after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb there was violent earthquake for an angel Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Now, this is very important. This is, this is what I have described also as the heart of the gospel. Uh, because without this part, there is no hope for humanity. All we have is life and death. So you look around the people in our lives who don't know Jesus, and you talk to them, you think, what's your hope? Well, they don't want to talk about death. They don't want to talk about the afterlife, because there is no hope for those who don't believe in life after death. You live you try to have as much fun as you possibly can and try to ignore death as much as you can because it's not pleasant. And then when it comes to your doorstep and you're told you got six months to live, then you just, it's tragic because then you, you're no more. But for the Christian, that's not so. Why? Because of this right here. Because of what Jesus did historically. He died on the cross. The women went to the tomb his tomb was grave was uncovered and he wasn't there why are you looking for the, uh, the, the, the the living amongst the dead the tomb is for dead people Jesus is alive and that's the, the title of the Bible says he's alive and this whole chapter is about he's alive now what are we going to do about it are we going to believe it are we going to accept it are we going to receive it are we going to talk about it and live as if it's reality as if this is truth or is it just a story that's we tell our children and we convince ourselves is, is the truth, but really we doubt it's the truth, you know? What is, what's it done? How's it affected our life? He's not here. He has risen. That's a hard thing to think about, guys. That's a hard pill to swallow because we don't know. We've never in our lives, at least I haven't. If you have, then wow, let me know. But I don't think anyone in this room has ever seen someone die and then next thing you know, three days later, they're walking up the street. That just doesn't happen. This is a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to believe. But the Bible, this historical document, and Christians since day one, have, we believe this. We've we passed along this testimony. We've passed along this witness. We've passed along this information as if it's real. Did Jesus rise from the grave or not? Next slide. And as I said, it's the heart of the gospel. So just so briefly, I put a couple of these portions of scripture we talked about already before in 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 is fantastic. It talks a lot about our hope, the hope of our future, 
life and eternity in heaven. And it says here, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. Again, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This gospel means good news. So this is the good news for you. This is the good news for me. This is the good news for us. This is the good news for the world. I preach this to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. I don't know about you guys, but I, the idea of being saved sounds grand. Because you see, remember I talked about having no hope. That to me is despair. I don't want to live a life of despair. I want to live a life that's full. I want to live a life that's good, that has purpose. I'm not talking about purpose. I'm not talking about, I that was a fun day. I'm talking about purpose as in, I want to do, I want to make sure the things I do with my life matter. That it leaves a stamp that's meaningful. And the only way that purpose, meaning, value, these words that we throw around nowadays, the only way that those things even mean anything, even matter, is if there's a God. A God who can save us. A God who can rescue us. A God who can give us genuine life. And genuine life is offered by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his conquering of the death, conquering of sin, conquering of the grave. This is the gospel. This is, this is mega stuff. But it's all surrounded by what Jesus has done that day. Without it, there's only vanity. There's only meaningless. And that's why it says, otherwise, even your belief is in vain. So do we believe in a liar or do we believe in the truth? That's really the question. I believe what we believe in is the truth. Jesus did raise in the grave. And I'm look, actually looking forward to dying and being with others who have died before me. Who, and I'm looking forward to being with Christ and, and seeing what he has for me in eternity. You know? and, it's not, and that's not the end of it. I also look forward to living life to its fullest here now. Because he's given us the spirit. He says, he's not, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan to, to bounce around the world like a, like a, a you know, neglected, forgotten about child. No, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit to be with you. So his presence is with me now. His presence is with me forevermore. And that goes for all of us. That's what it means to be saved. To always be with God. To always have access to the living God. So what I receive, I pass on to you as a first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Next slide. So the question is how will you respond? How will I respond to these things? Because we see that there was various response. There were subtle differences, but there were various responses. I like the response of these ladies. They, they, they heard the message, they seen the empty grave, and then they had a message. Go and do these things. And they didn't fuff about. They went and they did what they were told. They were obedient, they were faithful. I like that. And it says in verse 6 of Matthew 28, He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see. So first thing they do is they knew for themselves. We have to see God for ourselves. We have to have a testimony. We have to know God. We have to come and see that Jesus is real. We have to come and see that God is good. So first they experienced the situation. No, you're right. Jesus is not here. He's alive. They've experienced that. They knew that firsthand. The place where he laid. So see that he's no longer there. Then go quickly. Okay? Then respond. Go quickly and tell the disciples. Get the word out. Guys, Jesus is real. I've experienced him. He's the real thing. He, he died. 
And then he rose from the grave, just like he said he did. That's a part of their testimony. Tell the disciples, tell the others, tell the brothers, tell those guys who are falling, who are in their rooms crying and they're sad because, oh, Jesus died. How sad are we? No, tell them this is good. Go give them the good news. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to share the good news with our brothers and sisters. He has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of each galley. And here's some more obedience. He says, go tell your brothers, but also they have to move. They can't just sit and mope and, and be just, oh, you know. They, they have to get up and go to Galilee. Okay, it says these ladies had to go and tell the message to the disciples. Now as a group, they have to get up and meet Christ. Christ could have met them wherever they were at the moment, but he decided to meet them in Galilee, just as he said he was going to. So it takes a little bit of obedience to believe the words, the testimony of others. And it takes obedience and to get up and move out of your comfort room. I'm sure they felt really comfortable in a nice warm room with, you know, warm drinks and, 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 and cakes and sandwiches, you know. But, but Jesus says, but no, once you're, once you're ready, once you're filled, get up, go meet me. And they had to do that. And then when you do that, guess what? Here's the good news. Then you will see me. Then you will see him. Then you will see Jesus. I mean, how exciting is that? I mean, they had a choice. They could be, nah, can't believe you because you're a woman. Remember we talked about that last week. The testimony of women wasn't very valuable at the time, you know? Ah, sorry, we can't believe you. Come on, this is men's work. We're, 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 We're lamenting. Let the men do the lamenting. Go, make us some sandwiches. We need to lament. No, shut up and listen to the message and get up and go find Jesus. He's in Galilee. And I like what he says. Well, it says here in NIV, now I have told you. Other translations give a bigger definition, or a bit more clear what that means. Basically, like it says there in the asterisk, basically what he's saying is don't forget. I've told you, don't forget, remember. So again, because again, like we said before, and why we do communion, why we do meet together for church and do and, and, and keep going back to scriptures and keep you know, singing and keep turning our faces to him is because as people we can forget so easily things that matter, things that are important. We can forget very easily. Don't forget. Do not forget Jesus. You know how many people in, in my life in ministry I've seen come to Jesus and then walk away from Jesus? It's like they forgot. They forgot. Please don't forget. What Jesus has done, the testimony he's given you, the life he's given you, the changes in your life, the purpose, the meaning, the value that God has given to you through eternal life. Don't forget. So the women, they hurried away from the tomb, afraid. I love this part. Oh, man. Okay, that doesn't describe sometimes when God's... This is life in general, I like to say, boys and girls. This is life. But don't you love it when God tells you to do something? It, and sometimes it gives us this mixed feelings of being afraid, but filled with joy. All those contrasting concepts, being afraid and then being filled with joy, all those contrasting, but sometimes it works really well together. It's like yesterday we had Italian, and one of my favorite things to have Italian is, it's not lasagna, by the way, or orange juice, even if it's fresh grease, but it, 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 it's, it's olive oil, like extra virgin olive oil with balsamic vinegar. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, if you've seen it, you know how it doesn't mix. The olive oil is there, and then the, 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 the nice brown balsamic vinegar just kind of floats. It doesn't mix. Well, that's kind of like this. They, 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 sometimes they exist together, 
but they don't mix because they're contrasting thoughts. So you guys ever felt that way where, where in life something has happened to you and you have to walk in faith, but you have this feeling of being afraid, but yet filled with joy. That's a Christian walk. That's a Christian life. And I love this. Look, and that's why I define it a little bit, just in case you don't know what fear means. You know, it says in the in New American Standard, it's more literally uh, described as with fear and great joy. Fear and, and I, word, and I put, even put the word, I even define the word and because it's very important in the Greek because there's two words that for the word English word and in the Greek. There's kai and there's day. And you use the word kai. Kai is copulative. It speaks of, like, it's, it's, it, it also implies a, a cumulative, oh my gosh, my voice, cumulative, thank you. I'm like, where's that word cumulative for us? Yes. So the idea of the word kai is, it's tightly bound. They're connected tightly. So you have this fear and this joy tightly bound together. They work together. As opposed to day where you might have like variances or, or comparative. Like day, it's adversative. Adversative, yes. Or continuative. So with day, there's like, there's more of a distinction. But with Kai, it's more bound closely in identity. We also see this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 where it talks about the gifts. Where it says that there's some that were given to be apostles, day, um, prophets, day, uh, evangelists, day, pastors, kai, teachers. And so we use the different word and because he's making a distinction until he gets the pastor teacher. Then he goes, but kai, because that's one role. It's the pastor teacher. So, so it's interesting because I don't know if you've ever had culture people like wonder is, is, is it two or is it one that pastor teacher? What's well, one in the Greek? Because of the words and, day and kai. That's, how we, that, and that's the reason why we, we know that. It's because of the wonderful language. And so we see the same thing happening here. So it's not, so they're not distinct, joy and, and, and this feeling. It's like one emotion that could be described as fear, but joy. You know what I'm saying now? So it's a strong feeling. And I don't know if you guys felt this before, but that's what these women are feeling. So fear, dread, terror, mixed with joy and gladness. And sometimes when God tells us to do something, we, we, we feel that. And I, I know what exactly what this feeling is like. I'm sure you do too. So they have this feeling, but yet they, by faith, continue. They go, they do, they submit, they obey. And then suddenly Jesus met with them. Greetings, he said. They came to him. And I like the response. We're going to see a lot of worship going on here. And, and not the kind of worship I think that we may assume. Like they didn't pull up the guitar and start singing to Jesus. They worshiped him in a different way back then. So they clasped his feet. That's how they worship, by the way. I think clasping of the feet is a good way of describing what worship was, culturally speaking, in historical time. In fact, there are some world religions today that still worship like this, where they get flat on their faces. They still, I mean, the Christians don't really do that much anymore. I don't, I don't know why. But culturally, that's, that's what that word means, worship. Um, prostration, to lay flat by kneeling or getting right on your face. That, that's what they did. So they, they didn't necessarily sing songs and, 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 and start clapping their hands and shaking their tambourines. What they did is they got on their faces before Jesus. They worshipped him. And they said to him, or then Jesus said to them rather, do not be afraid. Again, we already talked about the word afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will worse see me. Cool thing about this feeling of, of, of fear mixed with joy is that we might be feeling it, but Jesus is there to minister to us, to help take the edge out of the fear part, you know? Because we might feel that way, but Jesus knows. He knows that what he asks us to do might cause us to be a little bit afraid. But he can take the edge out of it. And I like that. Don't be afraid. So he probably saw they were feeling this way and they were running and they were like, ah. And he goes, I need to go stop and say hi to these girls. So he gave them this really awesome opportunity to worship. And the result was, now don't be afraid. Keep the joy going. And I understand how they could be, too, could be mixed, but go and do your mission, which is simply this. Tell the boys to get their stuff together and go to Galilee so we can have a meeting. <laughs> yeah, a proper meeting. We're going to get together. Next slide. How will you respond? So, here's a different response to the empty grave. We have the women's response, empty grave, filled with obedience, mixed feelings, you know, encounters with angels, encounters with Jesus, worshiping of Jesus. But you also have the guards in their response to the empty tomb. Quite a different thing. So while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that has happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while, they were, while you were asleep. Now, first of all, the guards did kind of what, what, what the ladies did. Ladies, they followed their Lord. They have their authority. And their authority was Christ. And they did what Christ said, what God said. These guys' authority was the Sanhedrin. It, there's, there's a debate whether or not they're Romans, proper Roman soldiers or whether or not they were soldiers commissioned by the Sanhedrin, kind of like mercenaries or temple soldiers or guards, security guys, basically. So regardless, though, they went to their authority. They went to their Lord, the religious people at the time. And look at the response. Jesus, the purity behind it, the ministry behind it, the power behind it, as opposed to the Sanhedrin. Well, let's devise a plan. Let's get these boys together and make up something. You see the character, the difference? So you got to be careful. When you meet Jesus, where you go? Make sure you go closely to Jesus and follow him closely. And, and, and be careful not to be tripped up by lies. Because here we see that the guards, had, they responded to what they saw. But they didn't know, where, where do we go? Well, we'll go to the boys because we trust them. And they went to them. And, and they, instead of humbling themselves and repenting, we did something wrong. Instead, they devised plans. They thought of lies. And, and, and then they cover it up. So, so here, these guys, you know, um, I mean, they're going to be okay. Because first thing they do is they say, well, listen, you're not going to, because we remember we talked about how the consequence of, 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 of losing you know, that thing you're supposed to be guarding is death. And if they were to say they fell asleep, certainly sleeping on the job, they would have to hang for that. So instead they said, but listen, but we'll cover for you. We'll say it's okay. We'll cover for you. So you're safe. But on top of that, here, take a whole bunch of money. So really they had no choice because the body's gone. So they took the money. They took the security of their promise and they went with that. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Next, next one. 
Interesting, this, 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 this next little phrase. And the story had been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. When I saw that, I thought about my very day. But, but of course, we know that Matthew wasn't writing in 20th century context. He was writing in the first century context. Because Matthew was written in, you know, just, just a generation after Christ. Not even a generation after Christ, in these events. He was written around 60 to 75 AD. So obviously this story started circulating right away. So the, so the word, the name of Jesus, resurrected, that was an option. That was, people were talking about Jesus being resurrected. That was, people were talking about that. But people were also talking about, oh, how the body was stolen by his disciples, these religious extremists. So those are the two options at the time. But the funny thing is, that's still kind of going on today, isn't it? I mean, on the internet, we have a lot of, you know, Easy ozy free press, if you will. You know, Wikipedia is one of the options for free press. You know, and also anyone can have can can buy a domain name and publish blogs and anything they want without any proper, you know, reviewing and checking and editorial work, right? And today, there's still a lot of people who are talking about what happened to Jesus' body. One of the guys, this guy here, this this. You know, this internet infidel type of guy, you know, atheist, called Richard Carrier. And, uh, and, and it says, uh, according to one of his contribution to a book called The Empty Tomb, Carrier argues that the earliest Christians probably believed that Jesus had received the new spiritual body and the resurrection, and that the stories about his old body disappearing from his tomb were, were developed later. It didn't really happen. He also argues it is less likely, but also possible, that the original body of Jesus was misplaced or stolen. So it's funny how these stories are still floating about. I mean, a lot of, it's a really, it takes a really brave skeptic, a really brave person to say that Jesus never existed. Some people do say that, but most people believe that the historical man Jesus actually did exist. But what then happened with this event? Did his body really disappear? What happened to his body? And there's other Opinions. There's all our theories or conspiracies. One's a swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. But he kind of got up and went to Spain or something. Okay, weird. I think that's weirder than the truth. Then there's also the vision that Jesus actually did die. He was buried, but when, when he was resurrected, it was actually a vision. People were hallucinating. They were taking drugs. And he, again, weird, weird, weird things. So you have the truth. Which is hard to pill a swallow, like I said, but actually makes a whole lot more sense than these other theories that his body was stolen, that his body, you know, he didn't really die, and he, was, he ended up taking a holiday to France and dying there, or that they were seeing these, like, all these people throughout all this time saw the same vision, just coincidentally. Weird theories, but I want to move on from this, because it's just, I want to bring it to our attention that still, to this day, people have to deal with the facts. Did Jesus rise to the grave or not? And a lot of times people who say, no, he didn't, have to come up with some really weird ideas of what then did happen. Most people, I'd be honest with you, just don't want to think about it. So they ignore it. They forget about it. Ah, it just didn't happen, so just don't talk to me about it. I can't be bothered. That's, that's, that's what the common man does. But people who really want to think hard about the situation have to come up with conspiracies. And those are some options. Again, how will you respond? How will I respond? In verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some had doubted. So again, mixed feelings. Some doubted, while others worshipped. The same word for worship, to kiss the hand, 
to towards one in token of reverence. Among the Orientals, especially the Persians, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. In the New Testament, by kneeling or prostration, where you saw this one, to the homage to one, to make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. So they worshiped him. They didn't necessarily play the guitars, but they did kind of like what that guy did there. They fell on their faces. And they were probably shocked out of their minds because, again, they were convinced that Jesus is dead and no, is no more. But that wasn't the case. He was very much so alive, so they fell on their faces before him. But others doubted, to doubt, to waver. The etymology, the word distazzo comes from dis, which means twice. You know, it's like double-minded, twice. I was with you, but I don't know. This is too weird. It's too freaky for me. That's what James talks about, be double-minded. So the next slide, which is almost the last slide. Verses 18 and 20 says this. Then Jesus came to him and said, and we're, I'm going to go quite quickly because we're out of time. But, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to actually deal with this because this is, this is actually an important scripture that actually is a big part of what we do as a church in Cornerstone. And next week, I want to talk about what matters. What matters? What's really important for humanity, for us, for people, for Christians, for everyone? What's important to a person? I'm going to deal with that. And a big part of that has to do with this here. Because Jesus says to him, all authority, authority, pas, all, everything. If you take it, all the authority and put it together in a bag, that's what he's talking about. All authority. Power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases, physical and mental power, but more importantly, these next ones, three and four. The power of authority, influence, and the right or privilege. Four, very, more, very much importantly, the power to rule or govern. The power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Now, the reason why I'm saying this and I'm dragging it out and I'm going to do more dragging of it out later is because we need to remember who's in charge, who's genuinely and really in charge here. Okay, it's Jesus Christ. And if we really believe that all authority has been given to him and he asks us to do something, and we say no, we're in a really, really bad place. We ought to be saying, yes, Lord, what now? If all authority belongs to you and you're asking me to do something, what and how fast and how good can I do it? And not be afraid of other pseudo-authorities. But what are they going to think? What are they going to do? Who cares? Their authority is fake. Jesus has all genuine authority. Therefore, here's what he's saying. I'm the boss. Now, this is what you are to do. Therefore, therefore is there for a reason. It connects these concepts. Because I'm the chief, go and make disciples. Not to make disciples for oneself, but to, or one's church, or one's denomination, or whatever, one's theology. Make disciples for who? Okay, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples for the Holy Trinity, basically. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not disciples for the self, disciples for 
the one God who's known by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The word baptizing means to immerse, to submerge, to overwhelm. So we think of baptism as, as you know, the dunking, what we do. But it also means more than that. Basically, when you go make disciples, we need these people to be overwhelmed by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We want to make disciples who are immersed, submerged, overwhelmed with God, his power, his might, his beauty, his glory, the Son. All the things that we look at when we look at the scriptures, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And then we're going to end just now. Sorry for going so late, guys. i uh-huh.